Well, last week we read an unusual passage, and uh, I was told that there were some people in the congregation who, as we were reading Scripture, were scratching their heads a little bit and saying, this is really in the Bible? And we come to another one of those unusual passages in the Bible from Joshua chapter 2 and the story of Rahab. I'd like to read a portion of this, verses 1 through 20. Uh, It goes on a little bit longer. The conclusion of the story happens in chapter 6 of Joshua's uh, book, but this particular story uh, gives us a little more of uh, the understanding of the unusual way that God was working as the children of Jacob and Israel, as he's now known, move into the land of Canaan. Verse 1, then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gates, They left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up on the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this land are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God, in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us this land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, Go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return, and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers, and all your family into the house, if any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Let's pray for a minute. God in heaven, thank you that uh, there are a number of things that happen when we gather here in this place. You take fledgling faith 
and you build it into stronger faith, and from that you develop courage. And one act at a time, you take our faith and our courage, and you build those into strengths in our lives. You even take those who are filled with doubts and uh, maybe even are agnostic about faith decisions. And from time to time, we see people who encounter your word and encounter stories of people who have acted on faith, and they too find the courage to believe and to trust you and to begin to take those baby steps of following you. Lord, you know where we will be walking this week. You know which people in this crowd will be walking into unsafe situations or into very tense, tension-filled situations or where there are difficult decisions to be made. You know those of us who, who walk through life seemingly unsupported by other faith-filled people around us, and we have that sense that we are alone. This week, give us the courage to stand or to act or to hold on even if we are the only ones there, the only ones who trust you, the only ones who profess your name, or the only ones who dare to act on faith rather than hiding our faith away. Thank you for the example of Rahab. Allow us to learn from it and allow us each to extract something from this way in which you have acted in the past, the trust that your plans will be filled in our lives too. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Desperate to leave the small-town experiences of her early years in Pennsylvania, Liz filled her high school years with alcohol, smoking pot, and running with what others considered to be a bad crowd. Soon after college, she got her first job on a hard rock radio station in Detroit. Her on-air style was considered so raunchy that another radio personality on the same Detroit station, Howard Stern, who many considered the raunchiest disc jockey in the entire nation, told her that she really needed to clean up her act. Soon her off-air lifestyle began to fall apart and her experimentation with illegal drugs became wilder and wilder. In 1981, Liz had moved to another radio station, this one in Louisville, and her, her life was a mess when all of a sudden a husband and wife team arrived at this news station to present a new morning show on the radio. And they befriended Liz. And she was surprised when soon after they invited her to their church. To everyone's surprise, she accepted. And on the seventh Sunday at her new friend's church, Liz humbled herself before Jesus and invited him to take leadership of her life. And everything changed from that day forward. Her full name is Liz Curtis Higgs, and she went on to write 31 books, mostly to Christian women. One of her first bestsellers was called Bad Girls of the Bible selling more than a million copies. Within the next few years, she had an inside track on understanding and presenting their side of things. She naturally understood these bad girls of the Bible. And other books began to roll out, including really bad girls of the Bible and slightly bad girls of the Bible. Now, I don't know if Rahab fits under bad girls, really bad girls, or slightly bad girls of the Bible. But one of the women prompted, that prompted Liz's writing was this woman who comes to us in Joshua chapter 2 known as Rahab. And we're told right from the outset that she was a prostitute. And we need not only read about her in the Old Testament book of Joshua, 
for she also shows up in the Hebrews 11 Faith Hall of Fame. She's mentioned as an example of faith in action in the letter of James, and like Tamar, who we looked at last Sunday, she also shows up in the genealogy of Jesus in the opening verses of Matthew's Gospel. So this morning, we're going to learn a bit from the example of, of Rahab. And the big idea that I want to get across will change a little bit, we'll develop it over time, but at the outset, it's this. When one person moves from fear to faith in the Lord, everything changes. When one person moves from fear to faith, everything changes. The theme that's running through this is it only took one. It only took one person of faith. It only took one woman to make a difference in what was happening here in this great move of God. So four things we're going to look at. Here's the first. Consider Rahab's pathway to faith. Verse 8 says, Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, to the two spies who had come from the tribes of Israel, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us. Us would be the people living inside the city of Jericho, which was a a small city-state, so that all who live in this land are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now here's the context. The people of Israel had been wandering for 40 years, and they had now completed that 40 years of wasted time, and a whole generation of people had died off. The next generation was coming up, and the great question was, Would they melt in fear too when great obstacles came before them, or would they be people who would move forward in faith? The Lord had promised to give the land of Canaan to Abraham's descendants 400 years earlier. He told Abraham that they would go through very difficult days, but after a long period of time, they would eventually take possession of this land when the sins of the seven tribes of people who were living in the land of Canaan had come to their fullness. In other words, God had pronounced 400 years earlier that he was going to bring judgment on these nations if they did not turn to him and away from the idols that they worshiped instead of him as creator. You might be tempted to look at this and say, oh, here's another Old Testament example of where God's judgment breaks out and there's no mercy. Wrong. We would be absolutely wrong if we come to that conclusion. You know why? There were 400 years of opportunity before God had announced to Abraham what he was going to do. And over 400 years, there had been no no change in this land. The first time that uh, the Israelites approached the land of Canaan 40 years earlier under the leadership of Moses, he had sent 12 spies into the land and they'd gone all through the land of Canaan. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, came back saying, this is an amazing country. They described it this way, that it's flowing with milk and honey. That's a euphemistic uh, phrase that is meant to describe blessing after blessing, richness of produce, of, of vegetables, of fruit, everything that you could want was there. But the other 10 spies noticed the walls outside of a number of these small city-states and said, we can't possibly conquer these people. And they shrank back with fear. And when these two reports were given to the people, the majority report won. And that generation failed to go into the land. They refused to follow uh, Moses. And so God announced that they were going to wander for 40 years. 
All jokes aside, they weren't lost in the desert. All jokes aside, you know, God hadn't forgotten what was going on. He knew exactly what he was doing. But he was raising up a next generation of people who would, be, who would have greater faith and who would be able to act with clearer precision than their parents' generation had. And now, 40 years later, the Lord was leading the people back to Canaan with Joshua, now as their leader. And Joshua had sent two spies into the city of Jericho for reconnaissance. Jericho was a walled city, and uh, earlier, uh, the spies had considered this to be one of those cities that was formidable. It was unconquerable. The two spies entered the city, and they quickly found lodging in the home of Rahab, who we are told was a prostitute, whose home was also located on the wall. In other words, probably the outside wall of the city was incorporated into her home as the back wall of her home. And there was evidently a window from that wall that led down to the ground. It is likely that her home was the closest thing to an inn that they could find. Here's what we discover early on as they entered that home. We discover what Rahab heard. Like everyone else, Rahab heard how the Israelites had defeated the Egyptians at the Red Sea and how the sea had been opened by God's word and the people had poured through and then as the Israelites came out on the other side, it closed up as the Egyptian army began to follow them and chase after them. She had also heard of two more recent victories over two of the kings on the other side of the Jordan who had attacked the Israelites in fear, not wanting them to come any further and how they had been destroyed. And then she describes what she saw, that the people of her own city, the people of Jericho, were melting with fear over this news. This is not the report of the spies. This is the report of Rahab herself, and she is telling them, our people, our leaders, the people at large, they know that there's this large mass of Israelites who've been making their way from Egypt all the way toward our land. They know that they're just over on the other side of the Jordan River waiting to come into the land, and people are terrified. And the result of what she heard and what she saw came together in Rahab's mind so that she came to three conclusions that, that we discover here. The first is, she says, the Lord your God is God. Uh, you might find in your version of the Bible that the Lord appears in small caps. It's because it's that name Yahweh that the Jewish people were very careful not to pronounce. But it's the name that means I am that I am. I'm beyond all explanation. I simply am and she uses that word here, the Lord your God, Yahweh is God. The second conclusion she came to is that the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. And so she wasn't just saying your God is one of the gods or maybe better than our gods. Your God is the God of heaven, the God of the earth, the God of everything. And the third conclusion that she made was that when the spies arrived, she would put herself on the side of the Lord. Sometimes we overcomplicate faith decisions. We worry about too many things, and we think we have to have too much information. Rahab didn't have a whole lot. She'd never seen a Bible. She'd never heard a preacher. She had simply taken in what you could see with your eyes, hear with her ears, and then when the spies showed up, all of that crystallized in a moment for her. She heard the stories of the Lord's power. She saw the fear of those who followed other gods or idols in comparison. And she decided that a future with the Lord was better than all that she had known thus far. Folks, I have news for you. If you're one of those who's been sitting on the fence, that's what 
the starting faith really is all about. It's when we come to a conclusion that we know enough about the Lord God that being on His side and having Him on our side is a better option than all of the other options that we've tried so far. And God understands that. And in this case, He took that initial faith and He brought it to something far greater. When one person moves from fear to faith in the Lord, everything begins to change. What we will also discover is that when one person moves from fear to faith in the Lord, everything hangs on a thread too. And that's a good thing. I'll explain what that means. The second thing we learn is that Rahab's faith was followed by courage. The courage wasn't there at first. The faith was, but the courage quickly follows. So we go back a little bit to verse 2. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. Other people were watching. They noticed these two strange characters come through the gates. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. He obviously thinks, well, of course Rahab is on our side. She's one of us. She's going to hand over the names of these guys or, or bring them to us herself. Notice what happens. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. And then we're told, the parenthesis here means there's a narrator's comment, but she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan, and as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. We have seen the process that took Rahab from fear to faith, and that process took place before the spies even arrived. But it crystallized in that moment when they presented themselves to her and she figured out who they were. Her newfound faith led her to bold and courageous steps. Other people had noticed that two strange men had entered the city gates. Somehow the news got to the king of the, of the city-state of Jericho and he sent a message to Rahab. This probably meant he had spies on the lookout even within the city, knowing that these Israelites were camped just over the Jordan, wondering, when are they coming our way? Be on the lookout for them. But by the time he sent word to Rahab, her allegiance had switched. She had come to that conclusion that putting herself on the side of the Lord and whatever he was up to was a far safer place than to be trembling in fear with all of those who are on the inside of the walls of the city. And she was now on the side of the people of the Lord from that moment forward. And so she decided to hide the spies. She boldly misled the king's men and sent them on a wild goose chase instead with a story of them sneaking out of the city before the gates were closed at dusk. And, and so they head off towards the Jordan River to see if they can catch them before they would cross over. Now you might be wondering, what's going on here? There's deception and there's lying going on with this character who's lifted up as an example of faith. Think about it for a minute though. Reconnaissance and espionage are as old as warfare itself. Those who are leading the battle always need information of what's going on ahead of them. They don't want to walk into traps. And so these two spies had come from uh, the other side of the Jordan to Jericho to gather information. 
We don't know all of what they learned about Jericho's strengths and weaknesses, but that was what they were assigned to gather. We do know that they learned that the people were filled with fear that the Israelites were coming and, over, and fear over the greatness of their God. Rahab was their source. She gave them all the information she could about what was going on with the people of Jericho and their tremendous fear. And Rahab knew that her future was now aligned with whatever happened to the people of the Lord. It only took one to help the spies gain what they needed. Yes, Rahab lied. Rahab, uh, we shouldn't confuse uh, for her the, the moment of salvation when faith comes into her life with sanctification as everything gets cleaned up. I love this, that God uses her in her original state. There's not a, an all of a sudden complete transformation that takes place. And she resorts to what she knows. And so she lies and she deceives and she joins the spies and their team. And in that moment, something supernatural and wonderful happened. The house of ill repute became the house of the Lord in that city. And the spies were safe there. And they were protected because they were united with Rahab over faith in that moment. Acting in courage, she helped the two spies from Israel escape over the wall. It says that Rahab lowered them down the wall with a rope. And with each step toward the Lord, Rahab took another step away from the gods and the idols of her people. Later on, the New Testament writers would praise her for the faith she showed specifically in hiding and helping these spies. That that becomes called faith in chapter 11 of Hebrews. It only took one. Sometimes, a person's faith can have such a dramatic impact that that one person's faith can save a family. And so we find that Rahab did not merely choose the Lord to save her own skin. She was also thinking of others. We pick up the story in verse 12. She says to the two spies, Now please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family, because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save them from death. Their response is immediate. Our lives for your life. Our lives for your lives, they assure her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully, faithfully when the Lord gives us this land. Rahab pleaded for the safety of her family. And so the two spies entered into a covenant with her. They would trade their safety, their lives, for her lives and all who were part of her family. And they make a deal with Rahab. They promise to protect Rahab's household on the day of the invasion of Jericho. Of course, they didn't know exactly when that was coming, and she didn't know exactly when that was coming. But every family member who was to be safe through the collapsing of the walls and the invasion of Israel's armies would have to be inside her house. And she asked for a sign that uh, they would know which house is hers. And they told her, take this scarlet cord of yours and tie it in the window of your home. So Joshua's army was, to, was instructed to protect the home with the scarlet cord. And Rahab then tied that cord in her window. The final part of the story is told in Joshua chapter 6, that on the day when Jericho fell, Rahab and all the family members in her house were spared. But the city itself was destroyed. 
Think about it for a minute. What must it have been like during that week as the Israelites approached the city of Jericho? Some of you know the story. You learned it as, as children. But uh, they come and for each day, for six days, the people, led by the army, led by trumpets and, and brass instruments, march around the city of Jericho, and then they retire for the day. And then on the seventh day, they are instructed to march around the city, this time not in silence, but to have a great shout at the end. After marching around the city seven times, the trumpets blow, and the walls of the city begin to crack and crumble and fall, and the Israelites march into the city. So imagine what it's like if you put yourself in the place of Rahab's family members for the first six days. And she calls them all together and says, you know, the, the Israelites are approaching. Get inside the house. You've got to stay inside the house. And they hear all of their neighbors calling out. You're not going to believe this. These people aren't saying a word, but they're, they're marching. And there are hundreds of thousands of them. They're marching around the city. And you can imagine people gathering on the walls by the second day. And they're, they're looking out and they're saying, wow, this is amazing. The same thing's happening. They're marching around the city, but they're not saying a word. They're not doing anything. Third day. Now, can you imagine the kids who are part of that family? Maybe they're the nieces and nephews of Rahab, and they're saying, Aunt Rahab, we want to go outside. We want to see the parade that's going around the city. Everybody's talking about it. We can hear about it. And she says, stay in the house. You don't know what's happening. I listened to an African-American preacher who preached on this text. His entire message was built on this phrase, stay in the house. And the point that he was driving at was, when you know where the Lord wants you to be, the safest place to be is not the most attractive. It's staying in the house. Sometimes being in the church means to stay in the house. Don't wander off for something else, but stay with the people who know the truth, who will lead you in truth, who will coach you in that truth. Stay in the house. You get tempted to buy all kinds of other things that are enticing, that will uh, attract your attention, but stay in the house. When we teach our kids, one of the most important things for us to teach them is when it comes to faith, to stay in the house. Can I get you to say that with me? Stay in the house. It's one of the dominant messages of Rahab's story. And finally, the seventh day comes, and they understand the importance of having learned to stay in the house. And when all the chaos hits and the loudness of the trumpets comes and they hear the walls beginning to crumble and it seems like their whole world is turning upside down, there's only one place that would be safe for that family when they stay in the house. It leads to a final observation, though. We're not that different from Rahab. We're all hanging by a thread. And that's a really good thing. Let me explain that to you. In verse 17, we read that the men had said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down and unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. If any of them go outside your house, into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. The only thing that was marking them as different was that scarlet cord that was in the window. So imagine on that day when all the terror comes and they hear the cries and, and they know that the Israelite army is, is coming and the walls are crumbling. 
The only source that they have for hope at that moment is that they've heard Rahab. The family members, they haven't read the Bible. They haven't met these Israelites themselves. They have the account of one person whose heart has been changed and whose entire allegiance has been changed because she processed the evidence that she could find. And on the testimony of two of these spies from Israel who have promised their own lives for her life and their lives, they tell her to hang this cord in the window. You ever wonder where that cord came from or what that represents? Some wonder if the scarlet cord was a tool of Rahab's trade. Perhaps it was hanging in the window on the front side of her house announcing that this was the home of a prostitute. When people came looking, they'd know that's where they go. It, it, it answers the question, if that's true, how did the two spies know to go to Rahab's house? There had to be some identifying feature. Some others uh, imagine that she had a side business when, they took them up, when she took them up onto the roof and hid them under the flax, that part of what she did was she had a dyeing business and she would dye the flax and she would make some kind of cloth or clothing and sell it and it, particularly it was of a scarlet color. We don't know for sure. But wouldn't it be amazing for our God to use a sign like that that may have been the sign of her prostitution, her former career, as her future sign of hope. That's what God does. He takes the junk of our lives and he turns it all around so that he turns it into something that's good in his hands. Truth is, God is able to take the signs of our past and turn those things, too, into seeds of hope. Like Liz Curtis Higgs, in her understanding of the bad girls of her youth, that gave her the incentive and the motivation to write books about the bad girls of the Bible that inspire Christian women for generations to think through the lessons that come from these stories. The truth is, we're not much different. All of our lives are hanging by a thread of God's grace, and that's all we need. Some people think they're hanging by a thread of their own sense of goodness, but you have to ask the question, how good is good? If you're new here, one of the things you'll get in the little gift bag that we give if you bring your information out to the, uh, to the welcome desk is this little booklet that raises that question, How Good is Good, that Andy Stanley wrote. It's worth reading. It's worth considering. Have you considered how good you have to be to stand before a holy God? Rahab didn't worry about that. She knew that trusting God was enough, and that transformed everything. Christians are hanging on the thread of God's grace and forgiveness, that his word is good enough, and that he follows through on what he says he will do, that when we confess our sins to him, he forgives us our sins. He gives us a new start on life. He doesn't expect us to be perfect before. He doesn't expect us to be perfect after, just to try to live into the grace that he gives us and to serve along the way. This scarlet thread leads all the way to the scarlet thread of Jesus' blood shed for us on the cross. As with Rahab, we are asked to make a decision of faith. And this is what we discover. When one person moves from fear to faith, everything hangs on the thread of God's grace. And sometimes all it takes is one in a family. Sometimes all it takes is one in a neighborhood. Sometimes all it takes is one in a town or a city to make all the difference in the world because one person's faith in God's hands turns into courage 
in victory and hope. And that is as true today as it was thousands of years ago when Rahab bet the farm that hanging by a thread was the safest place to be when the thread comes from God himself. Folks, take hold of that thread. If you haven't trusted in Jesus before, do it today. We're all hanging on a thread. The question is, which thread are you hanging by? Is it a thread that leads to his grace and mercy? Or is it the thread of our own goodness? And you're in a dangerous spot if you think that our goodness can somehow bring us all the way to a holy God when he offers a better plan. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy. Thank you for the things that we've been learning through these unlikely characters who bring us hope today in our world. We live in a world that is marked by brokenness in so many ways, and it touches every life at some point. Thank you that we don't have to walk through life with pride, saying that our experience is greater than others, and aren't we thankful that we've never been touched by brokenness? Instead, we find that you meet us in the midst of our brokenness, and you transform it. So thank you for including people like Rahab in the story of your grace. Unlikely people who use the only tools they know how to use, but who figure that standing in your grace and hanging by the thread that you hold out for us is enough. And God, I ask that you will walk with us this week, that you will guide us into truth, and that you allow us to live lives that are filled with hope and courage and faith. In Jesus' name, amen.